So I was really excited last week after Pastor Aaron's message about doing a sermon because he said, if you, you talk about a novel word of stuff in a week, so that's going to be just easy, right? So I did that, and uh, I, it was very inco- inco- incoherent. Um, really couldn't make much sense out of it, so I had to go back to the drawing board. So that novel, if you might have been looking forward to my novel, is not coming anytime soon. But um, we have been working through the book of James now for a couple of weeks, and uh, three weeks ago, I shared with you how much I dislike this book, <laughs> how uncomfortable it makes me. And I just kind of wanted to ask you if, if there are any people left in this room who have not gotten uncomfortable by the word that James is writing to us. Is there anybody in this room that is not uncomfortable? Because I would love to talk to you if that's the case. I would love to learn from you. i love to hear how that is possible because this is a very uncomfortable book. Chapter four is not much better. I'll just warn you. <laughs> it's difficult. It's convicting. It hits you, uh, or at least it hit me. Um, but in Holland, we say, Shared misery is half the misery, so I'm going to be sharing it with you today. (laughs) So if you would be so kind to stand up, um, we'll read the Word of God together. I'm actually, uh, your little folder said verses 1 through 17. I will only be covering um, verses 1 through 10. Verses 11 to 17 is homework. You get to do that on your own. (laughs) What causes fights and quarrels amongst you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and you covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and you fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God. Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us us, envies intensely, but he gives us more grace? That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourself then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, your sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. This is the word of the Lord. Yes, you may be seated. About eight years ago, I entered the most competitive competition that I have ever been part of. Yes, I've played sports, both individual sports and team sports, and I've participated in some academic competitions as well, but nothing quite prepared me for joining the competition of becoming a parent. I mean, if you don't have any children, you really don't have any idea what I'm talking about. And if you have children that are 30 years or older, you probably have no idea how crazy people have become in the last three decades. (laughs) But I mean, it's starting straight from the beginning, right? 
I mean, Josefina barely made it in the hospital. And it was, are you having an epidural? Or are you doing it naturally? How about this is not any of your business? <laughs> you know, from the moment that we left the hospital, we found ourselves surrounded by family members and friends that have kids in the same age category. And they are constantly, they were constantly telling us things and asking us things like, your kid is not using a pacifier, right? I mean, you realize that if he sucks that thing, for every two months that he sucks on the pacifier, his IQ will drop by two points. <laughs> I mean, how old was your kid when it first walked and when it first talked, when it got potty trained, when it was able to clothe himself and it goes on and on and on? I mean, if your child was not able to grab your finger firmly by the age that he was, two, by two, three months old, I mean, an Ivy League school was certainly out of the question. <laughs> I mean, one evening we were meeting with friends of ours, and they have a daughter that's about the same age as Tara. And Tara did something. I don't even remember what she did anymore, but she did something. And the dad of the daughter was asking his daughter, why can you not be more like Tara? And I was like, dude, you have no idea what you're wishing for right here. <laughs> Or you go to the playground, I don't know if this has any happened to any of you parents, but you go to the playground and all of a sudden a person that you don't even know comes up to you after they have been watching your child for a while, right? So after the first customary politeness like, how are you doing, and it's a beautiful day, they go right in and the first question is always, how old is he or she? Because you know what they're doing, right? They're immediately comparing, they're evaluating, I said, yeah. She's four years old, she can go up and down the monkey bar twice. Take that, you parent. <laughs> but, but we do love to compare. We really, we really do. I mean, I think young parents have taken this to a whole new level. But most of the time, comparing is not very uh, informative, not very helpful. And oftentimes, comparing is even destructive. But every now and then, a good comparison serves a real purpose. And the book of James, maybe you have not noticed this yet, but all throughout the book of James, James has been setting up a comparison. Now, James is not comparing Christians with non-Christians, nor is James comparing a life before salvation with a life after salvation. What James is comparing is the life of a lukewarm Christian with the life of a Christian that is all in and truly devoted to his Lord. Or to maybe paraphrase this a little bit, he is comparing kindergarten Christianity to playing in the major leagues. He reminds us that in kindergarten Christianity, we are double-minded, that we are unstable, that we lack wisdom, that we crack under trials, that we give in to temptations, that we do not listen to God, and when we listen to God, we do not obey Him. It's this kindergarten Christianity, James says, that leads us to do things like displaying favoritism and partiality. It makes us ignore those on the fringes of society, people like widows and orphans and poor people. And instead of taking care of them and being an instrument of God's grace 
to the world. We wish them well. Perhaps we utter a prayer for them, but we leave them in exactly the same circumstances that we found them. It's these kindergarten Christians, James says, that don't have much to show for. No acts or deeds to back up their faith. A lot of talking, but hardly any walking. They're unable to control their tongues. Praising God and cursing men at the same time. But he paints another picture as well. He paints us a picture of what a Christian looks like that plays in the major league. A Christian who is able to embrace trials with joy and to withstand temptations. A person who is wise not of his own merit, but with wisdom that comes from heaven. This Christian, this mature Christian, has given the word of God the appropriate place in his or her life. He doesn't just listen to it. He understands it and applies it to his life. He partakes and participates in religion that is acceptable to God. He takes care of those who need our help without showing favoritism or partiality. He clothes the naked and he feeds the hungry. And he does not tear down people by the way he speaks, but keeps his tongue under control, and thereby his whole body. Chapter 4, the part that we just read, is a continuation of this comparison. And James points out that kindergarten Christians engage in things like fights and quarrels. And that these fights and quarrels are not just something that happen. There's not something that just comes from outside and all of a sudden we find ourselves victim to becoming part of a fight. No, he says, it's this that happens within us. He says they originate from within. Now, last week, Pastor Aaron ta taught us that the relationship between the heart and the tongue is very similar, Right? That the tongue speaks out of what goes on in the heart. And in a very, in a very similar way, we find that quarrels and fights are really, the, are really the results of jealousy and envy that is warring within ourselves. Now, let me just make one thing clear to you, if you don't think this yet. We all have a natural de deposition towards jealousy and envy. I mean, there's a reason why it made the, the, the Ten Commandments, right? We all have a natural deposition to jealousy or envy. Now, the object of our jealousy might differ. I mean, some of you might want to have as much money as your neighbor has. Some of you might want to be as, as athletic as the cool kids in your class. Some of you might want to have a celebrity body, and you can pick whoever that might be. Some of you might want to have the car collection of Jay Leno. <laughs> and some of you might want to have a spouse like your friend has, or perhaps even a spouse that your friend has. I don't think I have to remind you on how destructive jealousy can really be. 
broken marriages, compromised moral behavior in the workplace, backstabbing of friends, performing enhancing drugs, steroids, eating disorders, gossip, theft, the list really goes on and on and on. And James makes very clear that this kind of behavior does not belong in the life of a major leaguer. Now, we all start out in kindergarten, right? I hope you, I hope you get that. We all start out, in, if we follow James and John's analogy, we all start out in spiritual diapers after we have been born again. I mean, it's great to be a spiritual babe. It really is. But I hope that you all long for becoming a player in the major league at some point. I know that I do. The question really is, is how do we get from one to the other? How do we get from spiritual kindergarten into the major leagues? Now, I've been in church for a while now. I know there's some people that beat me hands down that have a lot more experience. But, but I have observed two camps in answering this question. Really two main camps in answering the question of what gets us from a kindergarten Christian to becoming a major league player. The first camp is that of the sanctimonious. I mean, the sanctimonious, in essence, view Christianity in the same way as the American narrative. You work hard, you dedicate yourself, you be disciplined, you practice more than the guy next to you, you run a little faster than the guy in front of you, you stand on top of the shoulders of the guy below you, and you will make it, right? I mean, that's how we become successful in this country. That's what we teach each other. This is what gets you your business. This is what gets you into the school or the university that you want to go to. This might even get you married to the high school quarterback or whatever your version of the American dream is. The second camp considers mature Christians the type of Christians that James writes about as merely a pipe dream. You might find yourself in this group of people. You've tried and you've failed one too many times. Unable to quit that addiction. Unable, still trapped in that habitual sin that is going on in your life. And unable to experience the joy and the peace that surpasses all understanding. Perhaps you have even come to a point that there is really, to a place where you really think that there is no point in even trying anymore. Because if Moses had his rock, and David had his Bathsheba, if Solomon had his wives, and Peter had his denials, then playing in the major leagues must be an unrealistic fairy tale, right? Nothing more than a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Fortunately, we have James, and James tells us that neither one of these two ways is be of becoming mature is particularly helpful. James gives us another solution. Because for your sanctimonious people who think that you can muscle your way through this, that you can discipline yourself to the point that you start looking like the kind of person that James writes about, let me tell you, 
that you cannot get there on your own. And I know, I have, I've been in your camp. I'm actually still in your camp often. I mean, I, I told myself for a long time that if I just read my Bible a little more, that if I just showed up to more church functions, that if I just worked a little harder on my joy and my love and my peace and my kindness and my goodness and my faithfulness and my gentleness and my self-control, I would ultimately be fitting into the major leagues, wouldn't I? The Apostle Paul tried this approach to religion before he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And he later qualified this lifestyle as garbage. Because you see, Christianity is not about conformity. It is not about playing a certain part. You will not become successful in the kingdom of God in the way that you become successful in the world. For those of you who think that a life as James describes it, that playing in the major leagues is just a fantasy, I just want to tell you to not give up. Because it is possible. It really is. I mean, God loves you way too much to leave you where he found you. He sees potential in you that you don't even realize you have. And unlike your experiences in the world, God will not give up on you. In the kingdom of God, it is not three strikes and you are out. In the kingdom of God, there is not only room for the pretty or the gifted or the talented and the affluent. I just want to tell you that there is a spot in God's kingdom for you and for me. There is a job to be done for you and for me. And yes, you are to become a certain person for God as well. So how do we get there again? How do we live into this picture that James is painting for us? How do we get in those major leagues? As I mentioned, James gives us two suggestions. I kind of reverse the order a little bit, but in essence, he gives us two suggestions. The first suggestion that he gives, you can find in verse 7 and verse 10. Submit to God and humble yourself before him. Submit to God and humble yourself before him. Now, I, I know some of you will be rolling their eyes at this. I did the same thing. I mean, submission and humility are often associated with weakness and Sometimes even manipulation, right? I mean, I want to be strong and self-sufficient and independent. But genuine humility is the starting point of everything else that James describes in his book. It is genuine humility gives us a proper perspective on ourselves and who we are. Oswald Chambers wrote this, and I, I have it on the screen. And he said, we tend to say that because a person has a natural ability, he will make a good Christian. But it is not a matter of equipment. 
but a matter of our poverty. It is not what we bring with us, but of what God puts in us. It's not a matter of natural virtues or strength of character, of knowledge or of experience. All of that is no, of no avail to this concern. The only thing of value is being taken into the compelling purpose of God and being made His friends. And God's friendship is with people who know their poverty. He can accomplish nothing with the person who thinks that he is of use to God. And as Christians, we are not here for our own purposes at all. We are here for the purpose of God, and those two are not the same thing. You see, this type of submission is not the same as the way that one submits to his employer or to the authorities, or how a slave submits to his master. This submission is first and foremost based on love. You see, God likens his relationship with his people to that of marriage, in which he is totally devoted to us, and he expects us, to be totally devoted to Him, in which He fully loves us and He expects us to fully love Him, in which He was willing to pay the ultimate sacrifice. And yes, unfortunately for us, He expects us to be willing to do the same. I mean, there really is no half-assing this one, and I'm, pardon my friends, but there really is no other way I mean, God wants us to be completely in because He is completely in. You see, He is not holding back. He is not looking at you and He is not evaluating potential risk or return on investment. I mean, with all of us, He is putting all His chips on the table. And he expects us to do the same. So for some of you, this really might be the main question of the morning. Have you been at the altar with Jesus? Have you taken off your veil, looked him in the eyes, listened to his wedding vows, accepted his ring and wholeheartedly said, yes, I do? Or yes, I will. If you have not, then you can check out. You can go home. The rest of the message is not for you. Because you see, we need to settle this first and foremost before anything else. I mean, don't even try to attempt a life like James is describing without settling this first. Because if you do, it can only lead to two things. Either self-righteousness or frustration, neither one which is pleasing to God nor fulfilling to you. The good thing is that God does not expect us to be playing in the major league before He extends His hand to us. As a matter of fact, He knows that it is impossible so you truly can come just as you are. 
So if you have never made this step, if you have never heard spiritual wedding bells ringing for you, if you want to know more about this or if you want to experience this, I would love to talk to you at the end of the service or come to Pastor James or Pastor Aaron. This is a conversation that we love to have with you. For some of you in this room, the wedding bells, bells might have dimmed a little bit. I mean, you might have said yes to him at some point, but over time you have grown apart. This happens in marriages from time to time as well, right? Perhaps you have even flirted with other things. Things like your job, or your boyfriend, or your girlfriend, or your children, your financial security, alcohol, drugs, or whatever it may be, but it has taken precedent of, over God. If you are not sure if this has happened to you, if you have, are not sure if this has happened in your relationship with God, I would encourage you to do two things. To check your calendar and to check your checkbook. Those two things will indicate very quickly where your true loyalties lay and where God really stands in your life. Now, James reminds us that God is not pleased with adulterous behavior. He writes us that friendship with the world is being an enemy against God. I mean, that's a pretty stern warning right there, right? When our loyalties lay with something other than God, with something else than God, major league Christianity is out of the question. It is not possible. You are unable to live a life as James describes it. I mean, just working harder or giving up in frustration is not the answer here. The only way forward for you is to renew your wedding vows. Now, the good thing is that this, according to James, is possible. It is possible, but it will require repentance and humility. Just like cheating in a marriage creates deep wounds, and healing is not something instantaneously, but a process. Realigning ourselves with God after spiritual adultery requires remorse, regret, sorrow, and repentance. Only then, only then can there be true atonement and forgiveness. Listen to how James writes this in his, in his letter. It's up on the screen. Wash your hands, your sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord. But you know what the beautiful thing is? The beautiful thing is that remorse and regret and sorrow and repentance are bookended both in the front and in the back by the promise that God will be with you throughout this process of restoration. Let me put a verse back up again, but now the full version of verses 8 to 10. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, your sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord, and He will lift you up. 
You see, God is not vindictive. I mean, God does not use our forgiveness as a weapon or as leverage. He doesn't dangle it in front of us like a carrot. As a matter of fact, unlike with human infidelity, the focus here in this passage is not on the victim. The focus is not on the victim that would be God at all, but it is all about restoring the perpetrator. I mean, is that not incredible? I mean, that speaks so much to the depth of God's love for you and to the limitlessness of His grace and His mercy that in a time of spiritual adultery, He makes this about you and me and not about Himself. So humble yourself before the Lord and submit to Him is the first suggestion that James makes in regards of making it from, for us from the from, the kind, from a kindergarten Christian to a major leaguer. The second thing that he suggests is to ask God. He writes, you do not have because you do not ask God. You do not have because you do not ask God. Now, in chapter 1, he wrote something very similar, right? I mean, I hope you remember this. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So is it that simple? Is it that simple? Yeah, yeah. It, it is that simple. Just ask. But ask the right things. That is what James suggests, right? He says, if you ask and you don't get, often it has to do with your motivation. You want to use this for yourself. You want to use this for God. And the second thing that I really would suggest is if you ask, ask the things that James is suggesting in his letter. Because let's be honest with each other, right? When was the last time that you asked God to help you with your doubts and your double-mindedness? Or for the ability to persevere under trial with joy? I know what I pray. I pray for trials never to happen to me. <laughs> when did you pray for evil desires to be rooted out and cleansed from your life? For a true, true changing of the heart, not just forgiveness for the sin that you committed an hour before. When did you ask forgiveness to God for speaking too quickly and listening too slowly? Have you ever prayed for your heart to break for people who are poor, for orphans, for widows? Have you ever confessed favoritism? When was the last time that you told the Lord that you wanted to be a spring of fresh water with nothing filthy or unwholesome or unholy in your heart and coming out of your mouth? Have you ever asked for true heavenly wisdom? And do you realize that this is diametrically opposed to the wisdom of the world? You see, the reality is, and this is a sad one, but the reality is that we are a lot sicker and a lot more corrupt than we really think we are or than we appear to be on the outside. It was about a month ago, 
early in the morning, 6.30, that Pastor James and Pat and Jeff met here for our first of the month prayer meeting. And it was during this time that James shared with us that later that day, they would be taking Katie to get an MRI. She had experienced some headaches, some blurred vision, amongst other things. After the MRI, everything changed. That same day, they were on their way to Cedar Cyanide, and I think all of you are very familiar with the rest of the story. The thing is that Katie, for the outsider, did not look any different on Thursday than she looked on Wednesday. What James is doing, and I'm talking about the writer James. I, I hate preaching on the book of James with a pastor James and a writer James. It's, <laughs> this is PJ during this series, and then we have James. But what James is doing in his book with his writing is that he's taking a spiritual MRI of our lives. And in doing so, he reveals that we are a lot sicker than most of us think we are. Our hearts and inner desires are corrupted. And we do need deep surgery. Not just a pill to ease our headache or glasses to improve our vision. So James, throughout this book, pleads with us to check in with the only doctor that can heal this kind of stuff. And ask him not to just work on our symptoms, but to cut deep and precise, and then to help us heal and restore and transform. James doesn't just leave us with taking this MRI. He also paints a picture for us of what life can look like after the real surgeon is done with our lives. When we give God the ability and the space to extend more and more grace to us, and we, we allow Him to lift us up. You see, the picture that He paints throughout this book is a picture of holiness. And the reality is this is who you can become. And this is who I can become. This is what our church can become. When we humble ourselves before the Lord, when we ask Him to really, really change us, not just to fix symptoms, not just to forgive our sins, but to truly change our hearts. Pastor Aaron last week brought us to Psalm 51. And I would like to end with Psalm 51 as well, since it speaks beautifully of the seriousness of our needs and our need to be really changed and also of God's grace in accomplishing that. So I would like the worship team to come back up. For the rest of you, I would like to, to close your eyes as we just pray part of Psalm 51 together. Because, Lord, we know our transgressions, and our sin is always before us. It's against you and you only that we have sinned and what is done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict.
and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. So create in us a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within us. Do not cast us away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from us. Restore unto us the joy of your salvation and grant us a willing spirit to sustain us. Open our lips, Lord, and our mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or we would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offering. Our sacrifice, God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. This, Lord, you will not despise. <laughs> 